Welcome to Life, bringing you insight and experiences into love, relationships, and fertility with a focus on enjoying life and moving forward. My name is Lori Metz, and I created this podcast for those who are trying to conceive. I hope this episode helps you on your family building journey. Hi, and welcome to Life, Love, Insight, Fertility Experiences. I'm here today with Sharon Leah, and I'm so excited because she wrote a series of books, and it's called My Donor Story. And I was fascinated when I heard about the premise, which is about building an architecture. So I was excited to be able to talk to her and ask her to join on a podcast and tell everybody else about this incredible series of 30 books. So thank you for being here today. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful, and I'm flattered to be included. Oh my goodness, I'm flattered to have you here. So tell me something. How did you even think of this concept? Because I've been working with the donor conceived community for a while and looking at different kinds of books, but I haven't heard this concept before. And I really, I, I love it. I think it's a great way for children to understand donor conception. Well, thank you. Uh, it just came to me, honestly. I think, um, you know, so I'm a single mom by choice and we talk a lot within our, you know, communities online, Facebook, Reddit. And I think people said, you know, part of the conversation, they always go to, you know, how are you going to tell your kids? How are you going to tell your kids? It's like such a common thing. And I always just would say, I'm going to tell them that someone gave me the blueprints, but I built the building. And so, and that, and that was it. <laughs> that, that was sort of how it came to me. It just, it wow. felt like the right analogy for me to explain to my child. It's such a great analogy. Lots of times I'll explain it like um, decorating a house. But the blueprints is such building blocks. It's just phenomenal. It really is. I could hear everybody in the group, in the Single Moms by Choice group, saying this and having the conversation. But I hear it with every group. I hear it with heterosexual couples. I hear it with gay couples. I hear it with single dads by choice. I hear it with everyone. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, now that I've sort of broadened my understanding of the donor conception community, because I've sort of like infiltrated lots of, <laughs> I'm not just a single mom by choice anymore. I'm an author for donor conceived you know, kids. So I've been in some more traditional family groups. And yes, it's just, how do you guys tell the story? How do you plan on telling the story? What are you going to tell your kids? There's there's a lot of that. So, and there's probably a million great analogies, but this one was just what made the most sense to me. I'm very scientific in my thinking, not to say that I'm a scientist, but my father was a science teacher and a doctor. And I just really like whittling things down to their very basic elements of truth. And even though it's an analogy, it's pretty scientific if you really think about it. The use of the word, you know, building blocks is a common analogy for DNA. And the fact that the main character is playing with building blocks is that analogy part. But it really is a very sciencey sort of truthful way to explain genetics and, and conception versus more of the flowery poetic books, which are also quite beautiful and necessary in, in other ways. Well, you want the child to understand you know, right. what you said before, I think it's really important. When we listen to the donor-conceived adults today, we know that they want to understand. But then when we listen to recipient parents or intended parents before they become recipient parents, there's so much concern about how to tell the child. Right. I say, tell the child the truth. <laughs> like, just, like, tell them the science. I mean, we tell our kids how babies are made. That's a hard discussion, too. You know, and the donor conceived child deserves the same understanding of how. I mean, every person is made with a sperm and an egg. They're just made in different places sometimes. 
And I always say a sperm and egg in the uterus is what it takes to make a baby. Yeah. Right now. We'll, so we'll talk in 10 years. But for now, yes, I may have to change my books a lot in the next decade. You know, it's sort of like, you know, why make things? It is different. So children do need a book to maybe possibly, you know, understand it or they need their parents to tell them in a different way. But it's the same. It's just the modalities are a little bit different. And it's it's slightly more of a an emotionally heavy conversation for the recipient parent to tell. But I want to do my best to make it not that, you know, because it, ultimately it still boils down to we all came from the same place, which is our blueprints and then the people that built us. Yeah, it's so true. And I find that I do believe, and if anybody's listening and wants to correct me, please do, but I do believe so much of this starts with the intended parent and the comfort level of the intended parent in telling the story. I obviously very much agree with that. (laughs) Want to empower the intended parent to become comfortable with their birth story for their child. Because this is the child's story. They don't know any different. Right. And so how it's presented to them is how they're going to accept it. Right. I think a normalized world is the healthiest world we can create for our children, no matter where people are in that curve of normalcy. Normal is just really a setting on a dryer. But, you know, normal as in, you know, there's always going to be alternative or, or not the typical way of doing things. And that extends to LGBTQ families and not just donor conception. I mean, people are all over a spectrum of neurodiversity and, you know, humans are diverse. And the gift that modern life has given us is the normalizing of all of that. So I think donor conception is just one of those pieces that needs to be plugged in so that children see their story as just as worthy and as normal as a a typical couple. The same way you know, parents of children with intellectual disabilities have fought for the same type of normalcy and inclusion that the world needs all minds. Right. So we started, it's interesting that you're using that word. And um, I have just a little sensitivity to it just to let you know, because I got a lot of feedback from the Donors Conceived community about the word normalize when I was starting my initiative to normalize talking about third party reproduction. I, I love being corrected on these things. It makes me so much more aware and in tune. I was like corrected head off. <laughs> yeah, I, so, that's what I said. I thought I said normal is really just a setting on a dryer because I'm like, I don't actually feel 100% comfortable using that word either. I'm thinking more of a normal curve as far as there are outliers and there's the center, which is the most common. But yes, what is a good... The reason why I, I, place I just let it go. I didn't mean to say anything. No, this is an opportunity for listeners to learn and, and me as your guest, please. So by all means, yeah. I raise it is because we changed the name of the initiative and I explained to people why we use the word normalize initially, but we change it to inclusive because the world is so filled with so many different types of people and of birth stories and of backgrounds and of cultures that really we're looking at including people, whether it's their birth story or their culture or you know how they learn or what they learn or how they move or what they do. We want to have an openness and receptiveness to people. You know, that's why I I lean towards that word at this point, or that's why we we renamed the initiative Inclusive Family History for Mm -hmm. the effort to start the conversation. I love that. What I love about the word normal, though, is that most society does not understand third-party reproduction. And so a lot of the intended parents are struggling with that as they try and come up with how they're going to tell their child the story. 
And I think, um, and you can also recorrect me, but I think when I say normalize, I mean leading with confidence about something that seems uh-huh. different. You know, I mean, I wouldn't be able to inclusivize for my child. I want to normalize her conception. So I'll need a little bit of guidance and how to replace that word with a different word. But it, yeah, I don't know. Maybe destigmatize. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the world needs all kinds. The world needs all kinds of minds and the world needs all kinds of stories and it has them. And just not everybody is as comfortable with theirs. So bringing out and enhancing the beauty of all stories and being inclusive is the goal. Well, the other thing is you've done it. You wrote 30 different books, which is mind-boggling to me. Well, hold on. I wrote 30 different offshoots of the same book. Right. It's still (laughs) mind-boggling. One book. Um, it takes so much energy to do that. It was a big project. Yes, yes. I mean, I'm kind of blown away. So could you just tell us a little bit about that? Like 30 options? Yeah, I mean, I felt like people really needed this. I, I know I don't want that. To, that's not from a place of like ego. It was just from a place of sort of getting to know the recipient parent community across the board and not having this as an option. So there haven't been a lot of sort of storybooks about donor conception with the like sort of beginning, middle and end. There have been some. But I think, again, it kind of just goes back to I wanted to drill home like some very specific things that hadn't been done before. And so it started with needing to get this building concept to my child. So once I created that version for her and feeling like this really could have an audience looking for it, I began to expand it because, you know, there's double donor and there. Can I ask you something, though? Yeah. How did you feel or how did your your support group feel when you came up with the concept? Well, so I started by asking them because I wanted to make sure, and I've been asking along the way. The first place I started was in the double donor embryo donor community of single moms by choice because those are my people. I, I used a sperm and egg donor. And I posted the words that I was like, what do you guys think, (laughs) you know, and got some great feedback from them. And then as I adapted, so first I adapted to the single moms by choice. I did an IVF version, an IUI version, an ICI version. And then, you know, as I got to different communities, I got feedback. Like one of the best nuggets of wisdom I got was from Mombian, which is a lesbian mom blogger. Dana is her name. And the story first was in the form of a this child going to school and the kid saying, why don't you have a daddy? And Dana said, you know, kind of an old trope for the lesbian community. You know, like the why don't you have a daddy is like, you know, first of all, it's kind of a negative way to start. Second of all, it just can it inadvertently make your child feel, well, we're back to the normalized thing. Like, I don't want to use the word, but like, it's normal to have two moms. So like, why make a big deal out of not having a dad? So I had to kind of come up with a way for the child to want to ask the parents how they got made without a daddy. So that was really good advice I got from them. And then, you know, I got more advice from single dads by choice who taught me about the difference between gestational surrogacy and traditional surrogacy. And so I just kept getting feedback, asking questions, getting feedback, asking questions. But yeah, when I first put it out in the in my group, I took their feedback and I ran, talking with and listening to the people you're writing for. That's how it started. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree with you. And I was wondering if you're going to say 
that it made you feel empowered in telling your story or it made you feel positive about telling the story to your little one. Or if they you know, I mean, felt that kind of empowerment that now they have this tool that they could use to help. I think like, so to be honest, as a creative, I was just excited. I was like, okay, yeah. As somebody who lives for creative projects, it was like at that point, I can tell my daughter whatever, like if my community likes this, like, yay. So yeah, I wasn't actually that because, you know, I have a personal relationship with my daughter and how I'm going to tell her things. What, what really mattered to me is what other people thought from a creative standpoint. So it kind of, you know, it went from like a, I think this went from like an emotional journey to a creative pursuit pretty fast. And then it just became fun. Well, but you are so creative. You've done so many oh, thank you. creative things that you've told me about, you know, the story to the hospitals and, you know, you've done a wealth of incredible things with children. So, oh, thank you. Um, I've done some, uh, you know, little bits of things here and there. I don't want to, you know, exaggerate there. But yes, I have loved working with children in different capacities throughout the years, especially working with kids that were at Mount Sinai and uh, Columbia Presbyterian, New York, Columbia Presbyterian. The, the name changed a bunch of times. Um, so in my time in New York. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, I've definitely always been an aspiring children's book writer. And I had written a book about the tooth fairy seven years ago or something like that. A friend of mine and I, we co-wrote this book about what the tooth fairy does with all the teeth. And uh, we put it on YouTube. And so it's I think it has you know close to half a million views now. So it's, you know, I've always been a creative dabbler. And so this was a way to be a creative dabbler in the children's space, but just with something that was 10 times more exciting because it gave meaning to the journey that I had that led up to me having my daughter. Yeah. And the journey that so many people have. Let me correct myself. Of course, there was an emotional component beyond just being excited creatively. But I think what it did was it landed in meaning for me that yeah. I came to write these books because of the struggles. Well, I think they do already have such an incredible impact on those trying to find comfort in how to tell their story. Oh, I, I certainly hope so. I mean, nothing would make me happier. I think that that's what they do and to lay the foundation not to use a pun on words with your building blocks, but really to lay the down. <laughs> There's a lot of them in there, so. <laughs> How to start the story. I read this book for single moms by choice because I work with so many women who are having children today through donor conception, whether it be with their own egg or with donor egg and donor sperm. And it's a difficult story to tell yeah. to yourself. And it's yeah. difficult to tell to yourself, then we want to work through that so that you the child doesn't have a difficult time understanding why they're here. And yeah, and I think that's, I think you you say that so well because I hadn't thought about it, but it was for me. It was for me to be able to explain to myself her. And then the byproduct of that was the ability for her to understand her story. But you're right. I had to think about what is this all about for me? And then not with her being the secondary goal, but you can't land the way you want to land if you don't understand it and feel comfortable with it yourself. So I think you're right. I, I'd never really thought about that, but it kind of came from that place first. Almost as if you had said to me in a therapy session, why don't you write the story you'd like to you know, How would you like to explain it to her? And how can you get comfortable with your story by doing an exercise of writing a children's book? And, you know, so it, it's really interesting that you say that because it flips it a little bit for me. The end result being I I wrote my book. 
That's exactly yeah. Look, it was advice in a support group. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Just seems to be something that you want people to think about. Could you tell us a little bit about how you came up with the 30 versions? Because I understand people are still calling you for more and more versions. And (laughs) there's only so many versions any one person can do. Yeah. People like do do, you know, individual customized stories. Yeah. I mean, I think because so many people want customized stories, I get that all the time that it made sense to do as much of a customizable story. And I just, that was like, for me, I, you know, these great books by the Donor Conception Network in the UK, they have many different versions. Do you know, you're familiar with them? Yeah, they were actually on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, So I haven't actually, haven't been in touch with them, but they did a, a wonderful job of creating versions for so many different family types. When I received their book, my version was, was, I think it was a boy and I really just wanted it to be a girl, you know? So that's where I was like, well, maybe I'll do a boy-girl version for each. And then, you know, once I had the, the drawings, it really wasn't that hard to change a little bit of the language to adapt it for each scenario. So it's like, why, why not? I mean, double donor is only slightly different than an embryo donor, which is only slightly different than IUI, but they're different. They're different, and each journey is different. You know, obviously, I took uh, some inspiration from the Ditter Conception Network books, but it was more, I already had it, so why not? Yeah. You know? So I think that's incredible. I mean, it just shows your, you know, your passion to continue and have the things available to the community. And and that's. that's Yeah. So in the back of your book, what is so interesting, and I haven't seen this before, are the discussion guides on who is the donor. And just even if people don't like your answers, I'm sure they'll love them. But even if people don't. You know, I mean, some people are like all about like, just don't even No, I'm sure a lot of people will not. But what I'm trying to say here is, I mean, that it will give people the opportunity to try and think about how they want to answer their questions. Yes. And it can be a little uncomfortable because it does culminate from advice from best practices as they stand today from, you know, mental health therapists, as well as gender conceived people. You know, I try not to be absolutist about anything because there's not a one size fits all, but there's uh, hints of the tell early, tell often, allow words like genetic father to be there if that's what the child wants. So, you know, it is it is a modern best practices approach. But again, back to science, I'm I'm sort of of that I'm of that mindset that, you know, we're building our body of evidence and we don't have it all yet. But that guide in the back is is to support what we believe we know at this point about the best way to approach it. Yeah. And the other piece of this, though, is it also it gives the reader, the uh, the recipient parent, the information on even just thinking about for the first time, yeah. how do I tell my child about other relatives and how do I tell my child about, you know, what this really means? So it gives mm-hmm. opportunity. And and really, if they want to customize it even more, they could do that with their child as they read the totally. Right they can there. change the name very easily if they want. <laughs> they could and add their own little nuances to it so they could become creative with it. Yeah. I think this is just wonderful. And I would really encourage people to take a look at everything you've done and, you know, how you kind of took this idea of the building blocks and the blueprints, which is something that every child, you know, a certain age wants to play with blocks and Legos and build things. And so every child can understand it, but help the parent also to be able to feel comfortable in telling their story. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I really appreciate that. It's just so, um, I'm not sure what the word is. Is edifying the right word? There, There's a, just, you know, having the support and the stamp of approval from people like you 
and the donor conceived community, you know, that supported this endeavor or gave me direction. Like it really, I think edifies the right word, really edifies and and allows me to feel, I don't have a better word, allows me to feel good about it, that I'm appropriate and I'm nuanced and uh, servicing what's needed. And that's best feeling. I think that's great, you know, and you're also so open and interested in looking at other people's books and stories. And I oh, absolutely. I need them because I can't this can't be the only book I read to my daughter. No, there's such opportunity for so many different types of stories and so many yeah. types of books that we want to have shelves filled for children mm-hmm. so that if one doesn't resonate with the child, the other one will. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I think there's a place for flowery poetic books and there's a place for silly books and there's a place for scientific books, you know, and the holes in the bookshelves will begin to fill in now that we're having discussions, now that we're stepping forward and writing books and now that there is access to dialogue and best practices and self-publishing. Yay, (laughs) self-publishing. Also, you know, the fact that you're on Amazon, people can find the books on Amazon if they want. What would they look under on Amazon if they wanted to find the books? So, so yeah, so the, the series is called My Donor Story, and I want to be careful to re- not emphasize that it's the child's donor. It's the child's donor story, <laughs> because I know that the donor-conceived community, I actually changed in the back of the book where it said, you know, questions your child might have, like, who is my donor? I changed it to who is the donor. So it's My Donor Story. And if you go to MyDonorStory.com, you'll see the option to select your family type. And then whittle it down from there, whether you want the boy version or the girl version of the book and what kind of conception you used. And if you go to Amazon and type in my donor story, you should see all the versions pop up there. There's a boy and girl version for five family types. And the five family types are single dad by choice, single mom by choice, two dads, two moms, and mom and dad family. And within those types, each is broken down to conception types. So this, like, for instance, um, the boy version for two mom families is called uh, Hudson's Blueprints. And there's a Hudson's Blueprints for IUI and IVF. There's a Hudson's Blueprints for embryo donor. And there's a Hudson's Blueprints for embryo donor. And the girl version for the two mom family is called Maisie's Blueprints. So you'll see on Amazon or on mydonorstory.com, you'll see the child's name that headlines the book for each of the family types for each gender, if that makes sense. There's a lot. And maybe I need to... Maybe I need to condense my elevator pitch a little bit. <laughs> no, I think it makes a lot of sense. I really do. And, you know, I'm I'm thrilled that this option is out there for people. And I was already able to share, you know, a, a, the cover on what, since I'm doing almost everything remotely these days, I was mm-hmm. able to share the, um, the book that, that you had sent me for single moms by choice with some single moms. So they're excited to get it. So nice, though, because... As I said before, one of the big hurdles is feeling comfortable and being able to tell your story. You know, so I really thank you for that. I thank you for all the work that you put into this. And- oh, thank you. That means the world to me. It really does. And yeah. not, I'm trying not to use an analogy again, but it really is. <laughs> <laughs> analogies, you don't know that about me, but I'm very good <laughs> as well. Me too, me too, me too. Oh my goodness. <laughs> thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. Thanks for if having me. If somebody wanted to get a hold of you, how would they do that? Um, They can message me from mydonorstory.com. There should be a contact form there, and I'll be happy to get back to people as soon as I can. Okay, great. And if anybody has any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at laurimetz.net.